Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. We are continuing our summer series on the questions Jesus asked in the Gospels. I want to welcome all of us uh, here at Center Street Church, those of us at Central Campus, as well as those watching from our campus in Northwest Calgary, Bridgeland, Airdrie, and South Calgary. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online as well. Now, as you read the four Gospels in the New Testament, over and over we are confronted with the questions of Jesus. They make us uh, reflect, ponder, and wrestle with the real issues of life. You may wonder, why did Jesus ask so many questions? If you look at it, questions shift the responsibility. The onus is on us to respond. If Jesus merely gave lectures, you can dismiss it, ignore it, sleep through it. But a question demands a personal response from every single one of us. When Jesus presented questions, he viewed them as a teaching tool. The questions of Jesus challenge us to discover the kingdom life, the life abundant and full that he wants to offer every single one of us. Today, we're going to look at a very relevant, practical question for us in the 21st century. And it it revolves around the topic of worry. Now, in the church... There are many sins that we condemn, but there are others that we tolerate. Consider them acceptable. We justify them as normal. We even redefine them so that they are camouflaged and uh, look respectable. For instance, we hear people say, I'm concerned about something. It's weighing heavy on my heart. I'm working through some issues. I have a lot on my mind. And all of that usually means I'm battling with worry. Worry is one of those uh, respectable sins that we tolerate in the church. And Jesus tackles this sin head on with his question, why do you worry? Now let me say something up front before we delve into the subject. I'm speaking today as a pastor looking at this uh, problem from a spiritual point of view. I'm well aware that there are some who suffer from extreme anxiety attacks that they have no control over. You may require professional help, medical help. By all means, seek those forms of assistance where it's applicable. Medicine and professional expertise are not always anti-God or anti-faith because we affirm that ultimately all wisdom comes from the Lord. But what I do want the Lord to do within us today is to grow our faith and trust in Him. Because that is the key to overcoming worry and anxiety. I'm going to ask us to stand right now as we read our text for today from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, 
and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, as we come to you today, we recognize that uh, we all struggle in the area of worry, that the challenges and the uncertainties of life sometimes get the better of us. So I pray today, God, that you will speak to each one of us in a personal way, that you will calm our anxieties and worries and fears, you will cause our faith in you to grow, that we will find freedom as you fill us today with your spirit and minister to us in a personal way. So we commit this time into your hands. We ask this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Jerry Bridges, who's a seasoned Christian author and speaker who works with a ministry called The Navigators, wrote something that caught my attention. When he looked at the New Testament for instances where Christian character traits are being highlighted, Bridges discovered that the topmost Christian quality regarded more than any other trait is love. And humility comes as a close second. Now, you will expect these two traits to be on the top because uh, love and humility were two strong attributes of Jesus himself. But what really surprised Bridges was the third common character trait of a Christian stated several times in the New Testament, and this is trusting God in all circumstances. It's a defining quality of a Christian. Or maybe you were a bit concerned when I made reference to worry as a sin. And you may even think that I'm being a little too harsh here. But I believe from the text that we read and other places in the Bible that worrying is sinful because it's the opposite of trusting God in all circumstances. The good news is the Bible doesn't heap condemnation on us for worrying, but actually lends us a helping hand. And no one will argue that the Sermon on the Mount captures the essence of Jesus' teachings. And in this pivotal sermon that has influenced so many lives over the centuries, ten verses are set apart for this important subject of worry. The word worry is repeated six times 
in these 10 verses. Three times Jesus commands us here, do not worry. Of all the commands in the scripture, I think this is one of the most ignored. As we ponder the questions of Jesus, this is a significant passage full of questions. Do you know how many questions are in this section alone? I counted at least eight. And these questions make us to reflect and think so that we will understand the futility of worry and how to conquer it. Our text opens in verse 25 with these words. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? The word therefore tells us that there is a connection between this section of Scripture and the previous section. Jesus had talked in the previous section about storing treasures in heaven. He states categorically, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot have two masters. And Jesus now continues, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. If you have chosen to serve God and not money, then you don't have to worry about how your needs are going to be met because God is your provider. So this is not a promise for those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but Jesus is specifically speaking to a Christian audience, people who have fully given their lives to his kingdom. Don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. The three pressing things that occupy the minds of people, food, drink, and clothing. You can call this the unholy trinity of the world. Jesus is speaking here to a group of people who are very poor. They worried about their day-to-day -day survival. They received daily wages for their work. And most people didn't have extensive supplies. They lived in an agricultural society that struggled with the unpredictability of weather that affected their crops. So Jesus' challenge here to poor people not to worry about their day-to-day -day needs and survival was a radical one. It reassured them of God's providential care over their life. However, this concern about food, drink, and clothing is not just a problem that's associated with the poor, but I believe this is a universal human problem. Now, with all the resources that we have in North America, we are still preoccupied with food, drink, and clothing. Open any popular magazine here in Canada and look at how many advertisements are targeting these three areas. Look at the flyers that you get at your doorstep and see how many of them address these three things. Now, how many promotional emails that you get in a day that revolves around food, drink, and clothing? You know, I once ordered a T-shirt online, and they asked me to enter my email address so I can get another 10% discount. And I thought, wow, 10% discount for just giving my email? Not bad at all. Little did I know that they had a heinous agenda behind that 10% discount. <laughs> and what's been happening is, the last two months, every single morning, 7, 10 a.m. to be precise, 
there's an email from this clothing company to get me to think about clothes every single day of my life. You know, I'm a typical guy. I don't care much about what I wear. My wife is in charge of it. And day after day, I've been getting emails with creative headings to manipulate me into purchasing more clothing. New markdowns, bigger savings. New shirt, new feel. Friday the 13th, price slash. Price drop alert. Is this price real? Epic sale. Sale alert, our biggest clearance yet. And you won't believe how many times I've been tempted to click on the link just to check out the deals that were happening. And I actually started looking forward to these emails. <laughs> you know, now I understand a company would uh, do sales clearance once in a while, but why would they do it every single day? In an article titled, Why Clearance Sales Are Psychologically Irresistible, the writer makes a great point. Clearance sale ads shift our focus towards what we are saving rather than what we are spending. So these email ads are not just intended to make me buy, but also give me this great feeling that I got an awesome deal. I'll tell you what is the best deal of all. If you don't need it, don't buy it. You will save a lot more that way and do yourself a big favor. <laughs> so for two months, I put up with those emails so I can use them as a sermon illustration. <laughs> now I can finally unsubscribe it. Well, Jesus' point is, you spend so much time thinking about what you're going to eat, where you're going to eat out today, what clothes you're going to wear, does this make me look good? And in all of this, let's not forget something fundamental. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. But you may say to Jesus, Lord, I understand, but I'm just a human. I have so many challenges, so many uncertainties. There's all kinds of things that could go wrong in my life. Can you please give me a deep profound, lasting solution to this common 21st century problem of worry. And Jesus looks at us and he says, do you want a deep, profound, lasting fix to this problem of worry? Here it is. Go bird watching. Excuse me, Jesus, what did you say? Yeah, go bird watching. Just look through your window at the sparrow sitting on your backyard there is your answer to worry and anxiety. That's basically Jesus' point in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The phrase, look at the, word, look at the birds, refers to not just a casual look, but literally fix your eyes on the birds and take a good look at them. When Martin Luther commented on this passage, he said, when you're listening to the birds, you are listening to an excellent preacher. So the best preacher you listen to are not just Pastor Henry or Pastor so-and-so, but the birds give them a good run for their money. The birds preach to us daily, and we don't have a clue what they're saying, but they are amazing sermons. 
Now, don't tell Pastor Henry when he comes back that birds can preach better sermons than him. I'll be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> okay, how do the birds preach? Have you seen a bird anxious over food, racing heart, breathing difficulties, feeling sweaty, chest pains, palpitations, not able to sleep, tossing and turning in bed because they don't know where their breakfast is going to come the next morning. No, they don't worry about food. For Jesus says, your heavenly Father feeds them. God takes care of the birds because they are his creation. And you need to know this. Birds don't have a heavenly father. They have a creator. You and I have a heavenly father who feeds the birds. If he sustains the birds who are part of his creation, how much more he will take care of us who are his children. The key here is you are more valuable than they this inherent value within us as human beings because we are made in God's image. We are dear and precious in the eyes of God. We are his treasured possession. The value of something is determined by the price you're willing to pay for it. And if you are a child of God, if you're part of God's family, the price that Jesus paid was his own blood to ransom us. That's how valuable we are to him. Will he not take care of us? What we find here in our text is not just an exhortation to trust the Father, but this is also an affirmation of how important we are in God's eyes. You are not forgotten. You have a heavenly Father who loves you and promises to take good care of you. Now, let me clarify something here. This is not a call to be lazy. Relax in your recliner and food will land on your lap. That's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, the birds work very hard. They don't sit and wait for food to land on their beaks. But the point is, the birds are not anxious or fretting over how to find food. That's what Jesus is emphasizing here. They are not striving in their own strength. They have a relaxed demeanor, and they live in the moment. Pastor Chuck Swindoll says, worry is assuming responsibility for things that are out of our control. Worry is one way we try to control life. And when things look a little uncertain, when we realize we are not on the driver's seat, then it leads to fear, doubt, and anxiety over the outcome. Now, I want to challenge you today. Just let go of that control. You are not the provider of your family. God is. You are not in the driver's seat of your life. Jesus is. And he's not a distant, uncaring deity. He loves you deeply, and his care extends to all areas of your life. Now look at this question in verse 27. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? This is a rhetorical question, but Jesus wants us to reflect on it. What do you get from worrying? Is one hour going to be added to your lifespan because of your worry? 
No, worry doesn't extend the duration of your life, but it can shorten it. And that is why worrying is unproductive. It is an exercise in futility. It takes you nowhere. Now, we asked a panel from our church about this uh, topic of worry and why people worry today. So I want you to watch this video to hear their responses. What are you worried about today? Today, I think I'm worried about answering your questions. <laughs> the weather? I'm not, uh, I'm not a big worrier. I'm going rafting for my birthday on the weekend. It's supposed to be pouring out rain like this in 18 degrees, so that's what I'm worried about. You'll be wet anyways when you're rafting, so. True. <laughs> Good point. Why do you think people worry? No, maybe it's a way of trying to solve the problem. I just roll it around in my mind over and over again, as if I'm trying to find a solution. Well, I think, I think worry is problem solving. I think you're trying to troubleshoot it. I think we're built to problem solve. So I think that's why we do it. Uh, but I think we're mistaken often about what it is for us to worry about and what's not for us to worry about. What is the things that we're gonna spin our tires on um, that we're not gonna be able to do anything about anyways? You feel like you need to step in to God's place and sort of take control and make things right if they're not going the way that you think right is. As I think about it, worry about it, sometimes I do get ideas about how to fix things. But most of the time it just, just causes anxiety. It changed when I had kids, where it came. What are you worried about with them? <sighs> you worry about everything. I think I worry about not being good enough most of the time. I worry about... For who? For everybody, for my coworkers, for my husband, for my friends, that there's these expectations that maybe I'm not gonna meet. That's what probably makes me the most like, ugh, inside, where I'm like, I just wanna be what you expect me to be. Who do you share your worry with? I do share my worries with a lot of my close friends, but I often find that doesn't help, that they then just worry with me and it just gets worse. Yeah. Do you think it helps worrying? Uh, I don't think so. It feels like it might sometimes. No, I don't think it helps. At the end of the day, I'm doing my best and my best is what makes me good enough regardless of if people say it's good enough or not, it's good enough in the eyes of God. If I'm giving my best to what he's put in front of me. When I surrendered to Christ, that actually gave me the sense of control because I gave it to someone who I knew I could trust and was in complete control. And so that really switched how I perceive life. Probably the biggest breakthrough is when I pray about it. Yeah and just choose to surrender things to God. It's like opening my hands and, and not gripping things so tightly. Worry doesn't help anybody. And I wish I could say that I don't worry, but I do.
worrying is an exercise in futility. Now, if you're not convinced by the illustration that Jesus offers about the birds preaching to us, here's yet another profound illustration, verses 28 to 30. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? When I was preparing this message, I walked outside of our building towards the south doors, and there outside the south doors is a bench in our church garden. I sat there, and it's a beautiful place, uh, relaxing, and no words to express the, the splendor of the flowers in the garden of our church. The amazing color, shades, artistry, and the variety of flowers takes your breath away. Look at the pictures. Aren't they impressive? If you pay careful attention, you see God's hand in the flowers. They don't toil or spin to make themselves look attractive. They don't have to lose sleep over whether their color is going to fade. The flowers need no fashion designer, no makeup, no standing before mirror for hours, yet they are beautiful and glorious. God gives them such stunning beauty, so much so that the flowers change the whole environment around them and make them look pretty. They even have the power to brighten up your wife. Just get her some flowers and see the effect. Tricks like that do come handy. Solomon was a very rich man and known for his snazzy clothes and designer costumes. And yet Jesus is saying here, Solomon in all of his style looks pale in comparison to the flowers that we buy for $10 a bunch. What about the grass of the field? In Jesus' days, they chopped the grass and used it as fuel for cooking. So a grassy meadow that's so beautiful ends up being burnt. The flowers and the grass are temporary in their existence. They are transient, and yet God ensures that they are taken care of while they are here. If that is the case, are we not more valuable and the flowers and grass, will the Lord not take care of us? Jesus says here, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And if you look at the tone of Jesus' voice, he's not angry, he's not scolding his disciples for their lack of faith. He was rather encouraging them and gently urging them to put their trust in him. The phrase, you of little faith, appears four times in Matthew's gospel, and every single time it is used of the disciples when they doubted God's ability to take care of them. So did you notice that Jesus links worry to lack of faith? It's a lack of confidence in God. It's questioning His faithfulness. When we worry, we are saying, God will not take care of us. It's all up to me to figure this out. By worrying, we doubt God's goodness, His power, and His character. And that's why worry is a sin. 
because it undermines God and His loving, providential care over our lives. Now, notice something significant that Jesus says here in verses 31 and 32. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. My kids don't have to worry about food or clothing. My seven-year-old comes to me and says, I couldn't sleep last night because I was worried I may not get breakfast in the morning. Or he says, I almost had a panic attack over what clothes I'm going to wear because all my pants have holes. I'll sit him down and reassure him. That's not something for him to be concerned about. It is my responsibility as a dad to provide, for he is under my care. Now, if he says the same thing when he is 21 years old, we will have a different conversation. <laughs> but right now, I'm solely responsible for his care. I don't want my kids to live in anxiety over their basic needs being met. But there are many kids in this world who don't have parents, who do worry about their basic needs being met. They go to sleep not knowing what they will eat the very next day. Now, I heard this uh, story from World War II, when a number of children became orphans and were kept in refugee camps. Many of them had trouble sleeping. And even though they were well-fed and well-taken care of, still they will not sleep at night. Until they discovered the cause for the anxiety, uh, they were worried about whether there will be food tomorrow. They had no sense of security. So they came up with a solution. When the children went to sleep, they were given some bread to hold in their hands. And that had a remarkable impact. They slept peacefully, knowing that there was food for tomorrow. Now, most children with able parents don't have to go through these extreme challenges. Do you get what Jesus is saying here? You and I who have a personal relationship with God are not spiritual orphans. You have a responsible heavenly father who promises to take good care of you. Jesus is uh, pointing out people who have no God in their life, no relationship with their heavenly father, no knowledge of a loving savior who takes care of them, worry about these things. But you belong to me. And if you are part of my family, then you don't have to worry, for I assume the responsibility to meet your needs. Now, what kind of a father knows the needs of their children and does nothing about it when it is in their power to meet those needs? And Jesus reveals to us here, God not only meets our needs, but he desires to meet them. And guess what? God doesn't lack anything. The storehouses of heaven will never, ever run short of supply. And that is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God's riches are inexhaustible, and it is out of his inexhaustible riches he promises to supply all our needs. You know, when we are worrying, we are fixing our eyes on our limited resources, but God wants us to fix our eyes on his abundant resources. God 
will supply all that we need to accomplish the plans that He has for our life, to fulfill His calling upon our life. Resources will never be an issue. All our practical needs in this present world are cared for. So you can use this promise to battle against your fear, anxiety, or worry about uncertainties that are surrounding your life. Now let me clarify once again here. This is not talking about luxuries. It's not talking about a lavish life of prosperity and wellness. It's not about satisfying our greed. No, it's our needs that are taken care of so that we can focus on God's kingdom and His will. From what Jesus is saying here in our text, there's a clear line of separation between believers and non-believers in the area of worry. It's okay for non-Christians to worry, but it's totally not okay for Christians. And when we have a positive outlook of life, when we refuse to succumb to the cares and worries of the world, when we are not shaken by our circumstances, but we hold on to our faith in Jesus, it becomes a powerful witness to the world that's watching us. In fact, that's your biggest witnessing too. When the talk around the water cooler at work is there are more layoffs coming, people are panicking. But you maintain a positive attitude, it will get their attention. When you're going through chemo or medical treatment for a serious illness, and in the midst of it, you demonstrate a quiet confidence that comes from God, it speaks volumes. When you refuse to be like the world and talk all the time about where you vacation, where you went out for dinner last night, what fashion accessories you have bought, and refuse to make those things your obsession, you stand out. Those who are outside of the faith live selfish lives. It's all about self-preservation, making sure their needs are met, striving for a life of more. They are preoccupied by their needs and wants. But as Christians, that is simply not a priority. Our efforts, our prayers, our motivation, our deep longings are all directed at one thing. Verse 33 gives us the answer. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The word here is not just seek, but continue seeking the kingdom. This is the key verse of the entire Sermon on the Mount. This sermon is all about what it means to be citizens of God's kingdom. Jesus challenges here, rather than focusing on our own self-centered needs and self-preservation, live for His kingdom. Seek God's reign over your life. Make it your primary pursuit, your consuming priority. Give God the number one place in your life. That's what Jesus demands of his followers. Anxiety and worry are the portion of those who are still in control of their life. But for those who relinquish that control and have given it over to Jesus, those of us who have brought our life under the kingship of Jesus, have nothing to worry about. Because if you stay true to your end of the equation, God promises that He will stay true to His end. He 
will take care of you. So let me ask you, what are you putting first in your life? In the final verse of our text, Jesus challenges us not to worry about tomorrow, what the future holds, but to live in the present. Anxiety over an uncertain future is a heavy burden. It's a burden that Jesus doesn't want us to bear because it's not ours to bear in the first place. It's God's responsibility to carry you through. Your future and my future are safe and secure in the hands of our loving Heavenly Father. That's what gives us assurance. So the bottom line is, Jesus wants us to live a confident, worry-free, anxiety-free life. And when we live that kind of life, it speaks volumes to those who are around us. Let me close with this. Years ago, as a new Christian, I was finishing university in India. I was on top of the class. I did extremely well in my studies. And my professors were recommending me where I should go for higher education. Big companies were doing campus interviews and recruitments as well. My parents had very high hopes for my future. And it's very common in our culture where parents tend to hinge all their hopes on the success of their son. But I knew in my heart God was calling me to serve him, to preach his word, to shepherd his flock. And that's when I told my father that God was calling me to be a preacher. I don't see myself pursuing a professional career. And my dad, being a practical man, asked me, how will you make money? How will you take care of your needs? So I talked to a few other Christians to make sure I was on the right page. And even they discouraged me from entering full-time Christian ministry. Whoever I asked for advice said the same thing. Find a good job, make money, and volunteer in the church ministry. And I was puzzled. Now, am I being overly zealous here, or is God really calling me? Is this my own imagination, or am I following God's path for my life? The more I prayed, the greater I sensed the Lord wanted me to serve Him full-time and not to pursue a vocation. He was urging me, don't worry about your needs, focus on building my kingdom. And at that time, at age 20, I had no idea how everything would pan out, and honestly, it was daunting. But I decided to obey the Lord's leading, and I look back at the last 15 years, and I can say from my heart, God has been faithful. All these years, I have lacked nothing. He has taken care of all of my needs. I don't have to go to bed worried about my basic needs. You know, there have been some lean patches in my life where my faith has been stretched. But I can testify this today for the glory of God that my Jesus, in whom I have trusted, has taken good care of me and my family. And I know that's the testimony God wants all of Christ's followers to have that each one of us here who follow Jesus can say, my Jesus, in whom I have trusted, 
has taken good care of me. Worrying is futile. It's unnecessary when you know and you trust in the promises of the one whose word will never fail. I'm going to ask all of us to stand up right now. As I've been saying in this series, the questions of Jesus are not just recorded in the Bible 2,000 years ago, but they speak to us today. They come alive, and they challenge us and confront us. So this is Jesus' question to every one of us here. Why do you worry? Will I not take care of you? In this moment, I want you to close your eyes and reflect on that question because I know there are some of you, you're carrying some heavy burdens in your heart. You're overwhelmed by the anxieties and the worries of life. And this is an opportunity for you to be embraced by the love of the Father that He promises to take care of you. So let that assurance sink in your heart break those worries that are holding you. So let's maintain a moment of silence and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us. And after that, I'll close us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the confidence and the freedom that we have in Christ because we are part of your family and you are our loving Heavenly Father. So we come to you as little children needing your provision, needing your touch. I pray for my brothers and sisters here who are struggling with anxiety, worry, doubts and fear, those of us who are grappling with an uncertain future, those who are overwhelmed by the emotions, the negative emotions of life, God, would you reach out to them even right now and fill them with the assurance that their life is safe and secure in your capable hands, that you are the one who is upholding them, strengthening them, and your promise is to meet all their needs and to carry them through this phase of life. So as this assurance becomes a revelation in their heart, I pray that the stronghold of worries will be broken and they will leave this place totally set free, rejoicing in the confidence that we have in a good Heavenly Father who takes good care of His children. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. 
We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.